I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. And we're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike. Mary, so good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah. How, how was your last month? How did everything go in January for you? Well, things went really very well. Uh, I have to say, the older I get, the longer winter seems. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid and peop- old people would talk like that, I thought, oh, I'm never going to be that way. And <laughs> here I am. But it was a fine month. Many, many blessings in, yeah. in January. It's Luckily, funny. it hasn't been too cold. It hasn't right. been a horrible cold winter, which yeah. is positive. But the sun has not been around much. No. No. It's funny, I um, I used to love like snowstorms and things like that. I love the drama of them, and I still like a good snowstorm. But having children and being stuck inside day after day after day, I've started to become a winter hater myself. Like, I'm like, yeah. it's just too long. It's yeah. just too long. So hopefully we'll get a, an early spring. What did the groundhog say? Do you know? <laughs> I actually no idea. No? I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know. Okay. All right. So we won't rely on a groundhog to define what's going to happen yeah. with our winter. That's fine. I don't think we're supposed to as Catholics anyway, right? I, I mean, mean, you yeah. never know. It's fine. <laughs> Archbishop Vigneron, Catholic Schools Week was a couple weeks ago. How did that go for you? It was a really wonderful experience. Uh, There is a member of the Catholic Schools Council whom I have the highest regard for, and she said to me, uh, you were uh, channeling for your inner grandpa at, uh, at that. You did a, she, she was saying that she thought I really connected with the, the students. Awesome. So, uh, and I really did enjoy it very, very much. So do you do a mass at the cathedral? For Catholic schools, we okay, right? and people send schools send their students. They do. Is every school represented? I or? have no idea okay. how the how the superintendent makes those choices. Okay, and or, high school down to grade school. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I heard in your homily that you said, and I loved this, that uh, math is important, but Christ is everything. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? Because we weren't there, we didn't get to hear it. Well. Uh, I really preached uh, a reflection on the Old Testament reading that day where uh, Nathan talks to David and in the name of God promises David a, a, an eternal covenant. He's always going to have this house. Mm-hmm. And my point to uh, the students was that we're the house that God has given to the son of David. And we have an education. We have all that we do to get ready to as be as truly possible as we possibly can, uh, that house, and that's why Christ is important. He's the reason for which we become competent in math and mm. social studies. And being able to ground all of our different subjects mm. right. in that understanding. Right, because uh, you're going to do a much better job of educating and being educated if you know what it's for and how it all fits together. Yeah, mm. I bet it's a special treat for the students to come down and see you and for you to see them. Well, I won't comment on that. You need to ask <laughs> the students. So. I bet they do. Uh, I like, suppose they at least like not having to be in study hall. That's true. Yeah. Like you get to ride the bus and go down for the mass. That's exciting. Do you get to get into the Catholic schools a lot? During- I uh, My responsibility is to visit the Catholic high schools. Okay. And so <clears throat> I try to do one-third of them every year, and I leave it up to the auxiliary bishops to do the visiting of the great schools. I think it's such a a precious gift, our Catholic schools. I I think I might have mentioned, we decided to put our our kids in Catholic schools. I went to public school, and I've been shocked at what a gift it is for our children 
to just be learning Jesus in this kind of cultural way too that we've lost, right? As as society has moved around, like my kids still have that experience of of working through faith with their friends, which is awesome. Right, and that faith isn't a, a, a laminate, a veneer on everything else, but it's it's the leaven that uh, brings life. Or the, I mean, to use our Lord's other analogy, it's salt that oh. gives everything its savor. Mm. Oh. I'll tell you, I'm uh, encouraged as a parent your commitment to Catholic schools and how I've watched different things in the diocese. I just, I I want them to succeed so badly, and I can see that that's one of the goals of the archdiocese as well, and that, that encourages right. me. No, the Synod may put a very high priority on our Catholic schools. They're not the only way to evangelize, but they're a necessary way yeah, to it's evangelize. It's wonderful. That's great. I know this last month as well, we... Um, as every January, obviously we remember Roe versus Wade, um, and typically March for Life happens in, in Washington, D.C. Have you yourself ever uh, been able to go on the March for I Life? I have been on the March uh, for Life. I um, wasn't able to get there this year. I'm very proud of all the people from the Archdiocese who were there. I think it's a, a, a remarkable witness to the continued commitment of the Catholic uh, faithful and so many other believers and people of goodwill who uh, uh, understand that the right to life is the fundamental natural right. Yeah. How important do you think the march is? I know, especially in our culture today, it doesn't get a lot of um, airtime, you know, in news, and it's such a big march. But uh, I don't know, what's your thoughts on that, just from our cultural perspective now and, and news and media and how things are going? How important is that march? Well, I think it's think? really very important. It's a sign that we're still here. We're not going away. Um, I've uh, read a lot of things that uh, draw out analogies between our uh, effort to uh, restore the constitutional protection of uh, the right to life for the unborn uh, to the efforts to uh, overturn slavery in the United States, mm. and uh, we shall overcome. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a great way to say that. And speaking of that, we also celebrated in January the um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And you put out a nice tweet about who he was and this call to prayer and to activism. And then now we're moving into February, which is uh, Black History Month. What are what are some of the ways that we as Catholics can really remember this month and and pray through the experience of black Catholics in the archdiocese and beyond? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I think a good place to begin is for us to become better acquainted with the history of black Catholics in the United States. Uh, I've been thinking about two figures in particular, uh, Mother Mary Elizabeth Lang, who was the foundress of uh, the uh, Oblate Sisters of uh, Divine Providence in Baltimore, and she began schools to teach girls of African-American descent. And I think that's a very important thing for us to know about. And another figure that's really important is Father Augustus Tolton, whose cause for canonization is progressing. Father began his life as a, as a slave and wound up being the first uh, African-American man ordained in the United States. Yeah. There's such a rich history with the Catholic Church tied to our African-American brothers and sisters. There is, and there are some things of shame that mm -hmm. we share with the whole culture about the owning of slaves right. by religious communities and dioceses. Um, but in that point, I am usually led back to think about what St. John Paul did at the um, New Millennium, where he talked about the healing of memories, that yeah. uh, we can't go back and undo uh, the sins of the past, but we can face them 
and we can ask God to help us expiate them. That's an interesting thing. So I am, my husband's African-American, so my children are half black. And the experience of being Catholic African-Americans, we talk about all the time and we talk about how far history has come. But it's an interesting blend with my children to kind of uh, move them through some of the sins of the past, but also the beauty of those who fought. So I know when they see that picture of Martin Luther King uh, marching, and there's a couple different pictures that have, you know, religious sisters and priests with them. I always point that out to them, you know, and we have really good discussions in our home about the place of our faith, respecting the dignity of every single person. Um, but it's wild to see it through their eyes, you know? Well, and, and what we bring to it as uh, disciples of the risen Jesus is a conviction that God can bring and is continuing to bring good even out of these evils, that there is no evil so bad that God cannot transform it and turn it on its head and make it into something that leads to a greater good. Which is such a good thing, I think, to point well, out Well, that's to kids. how the Lord is truly the Redeemer. He doesn't simply um, take us on a new and better path, but he transforms the old bad paths into, into a way forward. Mm -hmm. it, it's what we sing at the Easter Vigil, Oh, Happy Fault. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. right. It's beautiful to see the movements forward. Um, in our archdiocese, do we have a black Catholic ministries? Is there? Is we there do. A, yeah. uh, there's a, a person, one of our coworkers, my coworkers in the in the Coria, who is responsible for helping to walk, to coordinate that uh, ministry. But it really is something that principally takes place in the parishes right. that have uh, an African American com uh, congregation, sure, or a part of the congregation. And in my leadership, one of the things I want to emphasize is that this is about what John Paul called the exchange of gifts, that it isn't simply that we tolerate uh, this other, these other cultural forms, this other cultural form, but the African-American Catholics of the Archdiocese have a gift to give all of us, right. and we need to be open to accept those spiritual gifts that God has given this community so that we're all made richer. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and speaking of John Paul II, who you mentioned just a few moments ago, but then also healing, I know this month uh, we wanted to focus the podcast on the topic of World Day of the Sick and healing <clears throat> and being something that was uh, actually originally uh, kind of developed by uh, John Paul II himself back in the uh, early 90s. You know, it's funny, I wasn't actually too familiar with this aspect of a day, uh, specifically World Day of the Sick. Can you speak a little bit about that and how it uh, kind of grew out and how it got instituted a little bit, Archbishop? Well, it is uh, an initiative of uh, St. John Paul. Um, he uh, s established this day, I think the, the pattern for it goes back to St. Uh, Paul VI, who established a World Day of Peace for the first day of uh, January. And then this sort of follows on it as another way, or oh, even earlier we have always had Mission Sunday. This World Day of the Sick uh, is obviously tied to the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, I think it is uh, not an accident that it St. John Paul established it very close to the time that his own uh, final illness was mm -hmm. diagnosed, his Parkinson's. And uh, it really is a, a very important day for the whole church to understand that uh, an essential part of the ministry of Christ as the Messiah was uh, to bring healing to the sick. This was a sign of the coming of the kingdom because illness is a fruit of the fall. Mm. And uh, this is a way for all of us 
to think about the church's role in the ministry of healing, especially healing the wounds that come from being sick. Uh, I've been to Lourdes maybe 10 times now, and a little saying I learned from some really veteran pilgrims is, at Lourdes, there are some cures, but there's always healing. Mm. Oh, wow. And our Lord is always healing the heart that is wounded by the burden of suffering. Would you say that, I know you've talked about Lourdes and how much you love going there, that it's one of your very favorite places. It is. Is it tied to that understanding of healing and the sick and the things that you've seen there? It's And, and to Our Lady's role as an evangelist, mm. uh, uh, one of the first times I went, uh, the, the principal chaplain of Lourdes made a presentation in which he talked about the Blessed Virgin appearing to Bernadette in 1858 as an evangelist. Mm -hmm. She was there to proclaim the gospel of the, the good news that Jesus is near. And uh, she did it in a place where you would least expect to find Jesus. I think you've heard me say that uh, that rock at the bottom of it was where they used to throw the garbage. Mm -hmm. And the oh, pigs used to come there and root around in the mess. And so Our Lady appeared in a garbage dump mm. wow. with the news that God is close, which is something, of course, she knows because she is, it was the instrument by which God came to be so close to us in our suffering and in our misery. Mm. That's, so that's what Lourdes means to me. Yeah. Right. Now, yesterday, as an archdiocese, we celebrated a mass of healing that you uh, presided over. How was that? What was that experience like? It was, uh, for me, uh, like being at Lourdes, but not there physically. Really? It was, and I preached about uh, the Our Lady as this evangelist at Lourdes and how this good news applies to the sick who are present. And that through the anointing, uh, it is really Jesus who acts, who continues to act, to deal with uh, the suffering, those who are uh, suffering uh, serious illness, ir illnesses that can, the, liter the uh, church describes them as dangerous illnesses, mm -hmm. and uh, to help them, one, be able to bear the spiritual pain that goes along with this, the mental uh, suffering, and if it's God's will, to be healed physically. Do you find that people come to the Mass with expectation of some type of cure or healing when they come? Um, I don't know that they have an expectation. Okay. I think they're open to that, if that's the Lord's will. Mm -hmm. But I think what they most want is to be touched by Jesus. They know that that's what they need as they face this serious illness. For you as an Archbishop, um, offering this sacrament of healing. Um, is it kind of intense emotionally sometimes when you're meeting with people and you're seeing this this suffering so clearly in ways that maybe the average Catholic would never see based on your role? What is that like for you? It It's a way for me to be deeply touched and also to give God thanks that I'm able to be the instrument for the touch of Jesus. I think about that especially when I do uh, the anointing that uh, this, is, this is a way to continue the, the outreach, uh, the extended hand of Christ to the sick. And that gives me a great deal of comfort uh, that I, unworthy as I am, I can do this. 
Has there ever been a particular um, anointing that you've yourself done that just, that just it could have been years ago when you're a priest or, or maybe more recently, one that was really powerful uh, as far as a witness to you and how things went within that anointing? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think about uh, anointing uh, a, a, a child, uh, you know, be like a, somebody just before middle school, with cancer um, being held on uh, his mom's lap and uh, think about really the mother and the suffering that uh, was in her heart because of the suffering of her, her boy. Mm. And uh, yeah, when I think about that, I, I really am moved. Archbishop Vigneron, I actually can't imagine that. And this, this, um, uh, miracle or, or movement of Jesus that he moves through you and in all of our priests that do this and, 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 and are in these intense moments, but so clear that you are extending the hand of Jesus through this mystery that God has established for us through our priesthood. It's really beautiful, I think, but hard sometimes, I'm sure. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the healings I've seen is, uh, uh, the healing of a parent's uh, hurt and bitterness uh. at, uh, you know, why my son? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's this about? And I can't say <clears throat> that uh, from the experience of prayer and friendship and the sacrament that there is an answer uh, exactly to what God's plan is, but the healing is uh, a peace and a trust uh, in in the plan of God that yeah. He's near, and I think that's why Our Lady of Lourdes is uh, a kind of uh, an emblem or a, a sacrament, a, a sacramental sign for the meaning of the anointing of the sick. Sure, and even coming from, like you said, that place of 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 trash or darkness or hardship, you know, that's where she chose to appear. In, in in the heavy stuff. Mary, I would say that's where God sent her. Oh. Mm. No, yeah. I just think it's think important yeah. to remember right, that. Right, right, yeah. It's interesting that you were talking to, my sister right now has a six-year-old that's going through cancer treatments, and it's this experience watching her, because we're very close, we're like best friends, and she's clinging to Christ, but she's also trying to work her way through where she feels a little betrayed by God. You know, you go through all these movements and all these emotions, um, but she says there's something supernatural that happens when people are praying with her. She, little things, like her daughter had some sores on her throat, and it was the Feast of St. Blaise, and she had had like a week of suffering, really intense suffering, and the priest came to the hospital and, and did the blessing, and she said for some reason the next day, there was an alleviation of the pain. And she's like, and I saw Christ in that, you know? So we do have this like mysterious healing that occurs sometimes too. Have you seen some of that? Um, I, I don't know right off the top of yeah. my head that I could give a witness to that. Sure. But I do know a lot of people who have seen it. Yeah. I uh, usually ask people uh, who are engaged in healing ministry to let me know uh, and, and to actually keep a record, to right. write down their experiences. And there's a lot of uh, healing, physical, yeah. integral physical healing that occurs. I mean, and and sh- we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's what we ask God to do, to uh, confirm for us the holiness of the men and women we venerate. Mm. I mean, 
we just celebrated that a few years ago, not, not very many years ago at all in Ford Field with the healing that yeah. occurred through the prayer of Father Solanus. Um, this is not uh, a rare occur- occurrence. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, it doesn't get... I know it's that it's not rare, and I know that it's happening so often, but we, we don't hear about those quite as often, you know? But uh, we definitely hear about anointing of the sick very much on a regular and people, you know, when they're tied or about to go to a surgery or, um, or for whatever reasons they decide to go and get healing, anointing of the sick, um, there is usually at least kind of that spiritual and mental, uh, healing that oftentimes accompanies it. So I don't know, Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind just some of our listeners may, may not be as familiar with the actual sacrament of anointing of the sick, either they haven't gone themselves yet or before. I know like, for example, I've never uh, received that sacrament up to this point. Um, would you mind sharing just a little bit about the sacrament itself, kind of even how it functions or from, from your end as the um, distributor of that uh, okay. great sacrament? Well, it's one of the seven sacraments of the New Covenant. Uh, the Church has defined this infallibly. It's established by Christ, uh, spoken about uh, at least obliquely in the Gospels when uh, the apostles are sent out to heal, uh, to, to care for the sick in the name of Jesus. And in the letter to St. James, it is explicitly mentioned that if someone is sick, they are to call the priest, and the priest will pray over them and anoint them. And those are the essential elements of the sacrament. Uh, The priest imposes his hands to call down the Holy Spirit on the person who is sick, and then uh, the form in the Latin Church today is an anointing on the forehead, and an anointing on the hands. And uh, the form, the prayer for the anointing, is taken almost verbatim from uh, what St. James says in the, uh, in the epistle. Through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then on the hands, may the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. And uh, so this is something we've done since the time of the apostles. Our Lord uh, gave this to them. We continue it. And the sacrament, uh, the proper recipient of the sacrament is someone who is uh, the the, uh, Pope Paul in the document says it's someone who suffers a dangerous illness. And the, the commentators say, what does that mean? It means somebody who feels... Uh, threatened by the illness that they have. And it Mm. could even be the decline that comes with old age. But uh, So it's not for somebody who has a cold or uh, a blister. (laughs) And uh, the Pope said, uh, in in doubt, uh, you know, talk to the priest and see if someone is suitable to receive the sacrament. It's funny, I've received it because I have I have C-sections for my, my deliveries, and in my fifth one, there was some high, high risks involved, and so we called in a priest, and I was able to, and it, it, it just uh, gave me a sense of calm, you know, to meet Christ in that way before going into this intense surgery that I was so afraid of, you know? Right, because mm. that uh, that moment is, is, a, is a moment of vocation. You're being called to take up a very special uh, participation in uh, the mystery of Christ's death and rising mm-hmm. to confront the, what he confronted. Yeah. And you need the spirit of Jesus to do the work of Jesus. And like a supernatural kind of calm that Jesus is there and present and with me in any suffering. I have a question about the anointing. Um, 
It's a curiosity question. I've heard that you have to be seven or older to receive this. You sign. have to be, uh, the, the norm says you have to have the use of reason. Okay. Uh, again, uh, I did some research. I knew you were going to ask me some of these questions. Uh, the canon law commentary from the Spanish uh, University of Navarre, the Opus Dei canon law commentary, says that this can be interpreted very liberally. Uh, it means if somebody, if the child understands what's going on okay. and the sacrament will help them deal with their fears. If they're smart, if they have enough uh, awareness of what's going on, that the sacrament can help them deal with the fear they have as they face something that's dangerous. That's helpful to mm. me because my niece, rece she's six, and she received um, her first Holy Communion in the hospital because things for a while looked pretty intense. Um, and then I had heard that she could not receive the sacrament of anointing of the sick until she was seven. And so that, that's interesting to know there's a little bit of flexibility if she has the age of reason and the understanding. Well, certainly if she's competent to receive Holy Eucharist, I think she's competent for this. Right, mm. and I think kids that, that go through really intense things like that at young ages have a different understanding than any of us of the world in yeah. some ways. So yeah. I know in Unleash the Gospel, you wrote about healing and you wrote about the importance of healing and that we all partake in Jesus' experience of healing. How do lay Catholics do that though, right? So there's the anointing of the sick and that's important, but what can I do to help kind of uh, be a part of this ministry of healing that Jesus calls us to? I think you can uh, pray for healing for uh, those who, uh, whom you love or whom you encounter, um, and in invoke the healing power of the Holy Spirit on mm -hmm. them. Now, if you do that, of course, or when you do that, you have to do it with great uh, abandonment to God's providence and realize that the most important healing is spiritual healing mm -hmm. and uh, entrusting ourselves to Christ, mm -hmm. but to know that uh, the kingdom of God is here and part of the, the power of the kingdom is to uh, heal uh, to what what came about through the fall. I've noticed in, in the wake of Unleash the Gospel, just watching different healing ministries starting within the Archdiocese of Detroit, more than I remember from even 10 or 20 years ago, lay Catholics really rising together in, in, in groups, in prayer groups, kind of asking the Spirit to heal emotional wounds and physical wounds. And I've kind of noticed, uh, I don't know if you have, a deeper movement of that with this call from Unleash the Gospel. And I think that's really uh, inspired by the Spirit. And I think it's it's taking a new form of something that's been uh, very common in the life of Catholics. Catholics have understood the power of grace to bring healing into the world. Um, in the life of uh, people of my mom and dad's generation, I think it was very much t tied up in this diocese with devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help mm. and calling on her yes. for physical healing yep. for those who were sick. Yeah, I can remember my grandparents always doing that, that she would, they had a, a big devotion to her. So. Mm. Archbishop, I was wondering if you might have a message to any of our listeners who are right now themselves struggling in some way with either you know, mental, physical, any ailments, any uh, need of healing, any illness right now. Do you have a message that, or a word that you might uh, want to share with them? All I can do is give them the good news that God is near, uh, that uh, he himself has experienced the agony of their suffering, and invite them to call on him. And, uh, so that he will be with them, stand with, with them, and share his strength with them so that they can uh, face 
this suffering with uh, confidence in the Father, united to Jesus, and realize that by doing that they transform what is otherwise meaningless and reprehensible mm. into something that's beautiful. And to ask God for healing, if it be his will, and for his glory. And along with that, what about priests that you know that are so engaged in this ministry? Because I know there are priests that listen to this podcast. How would you kind of encourage them to um, view the sacrament of the anointing or use the sacrament of anointing at their parishes? I think to uh, be sure and, 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 well, to understand the evan evangelizing power of this sacrament and that uh, the, the, the sick who uh, face their, their suffering uh, with uh, faith are powerful witnesses to the gospel. And uh, if it's God's will and they are physically healed, that too is a witness. The more powerful witness is the witness of, of faithful abandonment, but it's in God's hands. Yeah. I love that faithful abandonment piece, like all for the greater glory of God, that we understand that there's mysteries unfolding, that we, we might not know every, every intricacy, but there's mysteries unfolding. And there always will be fruit. If we <clears throat> give ourselves to God in the way we go forward, uh, we may not see the fruit, but there will be fruit. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing with us about that. Well, now we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, questions from the faithful. We've asked parishioners in the Archdiocese of Detroit to submit questions to Eyes on Jesus podcast at AOD.org, and each month we'll choose a couple to ask during this recording. If anybody listening has a question, please feel free to email us and include your name and parish. So our first question I'm excited about, I really like this question, it comes from Diane at Christ the King in Detroit, and she says, as an archbishop, you get to meet a lot of well-known people. Do you have a particular favorite that you've met? Hmm. Mary, is it all right <laughs> if I divide them into three categories? Absolutely. And I'm not sure how well-known they are. <laughs> um, universally, in the, the greatest honor I've ever had for meeting a, a person live is St. John Paul. Uh, just my hero. Uh, mm. Great, great experience. I, uh, as you know, I, I was able to work in the uh, Secretariat of State, the Holy Father's Secretariat, for three years. Um, I, I was a low-level functionary. It's not like he and I had a consult every day, but I got to see him and meet him on a few occasions, and I count that a, a great, great uh, honor in my life. Um, a person I have uh, a lot of respect for here in the state is uh, Barbara Listing, who has for decades been the uh, leader of Right to Life Michigan. Uh, Barbara is a teacher by her uh, profession, and she became very involved in the Right to Life movement when we had in the early 70s our referendum to uh, uh, ban abortions. Mm. And uh, she's been involved ever since, and she's smart, astute, and dedicated. And I admire her very, very much. I consider knowing her a great privilege. And then for the whole country, I, was, I guess I would uh, say I'm really honored to have uh, been a good, a close associate of uh, uh, Cardinal Francis George, okay. who I think is one of the great bishops in the history of the church in the United States. And how did you know him? Well. Uh, as as a brother bishop, yeah. mm. and uh, 
We shared a lot of common interests in philosophy and cultural analysis, and uh, I just enjoyed working with him. That's great. It was funny after we talked uh, last month about you uh, being with three different popes that you've met three different popes. I went, I went home and I told my kids that I hung out with the archbishop who met a saint. Like, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible to know that you uh, spent time with St. John Paul II. I saw him mm. from very far away, <laughs> and I still can get emotional thinking about those moments. So I can't even imagine, like, y- you talked to him. <laughs> Right. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Um, Mallory from Shrine uh, in Royal Oak asks the question, what type of music do you like to listen to, Archbishop? Um, classical music and um, uh, Renaissance uh, polyphony and, and chant, too. Uh, classical music, uh, really, uh, one of my favorite uh, composers is Brahms. I mm-hmm. like listening to Brahms' symphonies very, very much. Um, for polyphony, uh, all of the uh, the greats, especially Palestrina. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you're in the car, will you turn on classical music and listen to it, or you I do, do silence? I, or? No, I turn on classical music. Um, yeah, I, class, that's what I typically put on. So not hip hop. That's not no. Your uh, <laughs> but. I, I we have a, a Sirius in the car, and I yeah. put on the bridge sometimes. That's great. And I certainly am always happy to find uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, so good! <laughs> or uh, the Supremes. Yeah, yeah Motel Or stuff. the Temptations. Nice. Beautiful. And now I'm going to have to listen to some Simon and Garfunkel on the way back. It's been a long time since I've listened to them. I used yeah. to have their CDs and just play them in college all really? the time. So, oh yeah. I didn't know that was a thing oh, for you in college. Oh, totally a thing <laughs> for me. Very good. Okay. So Steve at Our Lady Queen of Martyrs in Beverly Hills asked this question. Have you been surprised at any of the results or byproducts, fruits of the uh, Synod and Unleash the Gospel? I have been uh, astounded at how uh, widespread are the efforts that people are making and how enthused they are uh, for uh, being part of the movement. Mm. And when I say that, I think, well, you know, I should be a little embarrassed that I'm astounded. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> That's right. I, I, what, what, don't you have faith? You yeah. should have expected right. it. Yeah. But uh, it is uh, am- amazing to me how many people have uh, caught the fire mm. and are uh, making it a, a folk, the focal point for their effort to serve Christ. I really see the document is so anointed. Like there'll be certain phrases that either get brought up in this podcast or that I've read on my own that are truly affecting my faith. You know, like there's no bystanders and a band of joyful missionary disciples I use all the time because I think it's something that we need. But mm. there's so many little fruits of it that I just think, I mean, we will unwrap it for decades to come. I was with a priest on Saturday, and he was from the Diocese of Boston. And I just, I had asked him a question about his diocese, and he said, well, you need to know, and I'm not just saying this, like, people in the United States are looking at what Detroit's doing, because they are doing something different than anybody else. And they're willing to be kind of uh, examine themselves, throw out what's not working. And he just said it's been a real example to, to the United States, which is incredible. Yeah. I was going to say that. How many people from across the country I know have have been impacted by, uh, not just here in Detroit, of course, in Southeast Michigan, but across the country have been impacted by the document and everything that's going on here. It's beautiful. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, that was was it. Well, uh, you know, I appreciate that uh, we talk about the letter, but the letter is really uh, 
a charter meant to uh, distill the fruit of the synod. Mm -hmm. I, I want always to, to take us behind the document back to the synod because I think it was there that the graces that are expressed in the letter were first manifested in our community. So that people sometimes talk about, I mean, in it, I, I am the author of the letter, but I consider myself in some way uh, uh, an agent or a scribe uh, who tried to get on paper what the, what God said to our synod. Mm. And a real begging of the spirit, I, I think, too. Like I, some of the initial meetings before it was even a synod, I got to sit with you know, Archbishop uh, Burns, and we were, just how the spirit really s was felt like a saturation. Mm. And then you see the unfolding of that, right. you know. But we, I think you as our leader had to be open to that. And I think there's something there that we need to acknowledge that how awesome that you were willing to say, let's do something different. Well, let's listen to, uh, I can't figure out how to manage this. The Holy Spirit's <laughs> going to have to do it. Come Holy Spirit, tell Amen. us what to do. Yes, because we need that, right? We need that hope and that joy. It's just so, I feel like we need it and there's something happening. So yeah. as long as we can just keep leaning into the Spirit. I think Absolutely. he'll show up. So. Absolutely. Archbishop, last question for you. So Sharon from Our Lady of Sorrows in Farmington asks, do you miss teaching in the classroom? If so, what part do you miss most? And who is your favorite philosopher? Yes, I miss teaching in the classroom very, very much. What part do I miss is the experience of uh, leading somebody whose well-being is important to me, that's my student, uh, to see a thing uh, and understand something that's also very important to me. Mm -hmm. So bringing those together, um, I suppose uh, a simple way to put it would be to bring a soul and truth uh, into contact with one another. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of what Socrates said, that being a teacher is like being the midwife of a soul. Oh, wow. And uh, my favorite philosopher is Edmund Husserl, mm. who I uh, helped me understand how uh, to get beyond the uh, the paradox, the dead end of, of Descartes, who wound up with a, a self, a mind that he misunderstood as uh, unconnected to the world. Archbishop, a question, follow-up question to that. I'm sorry. When you taught, did you predominantly teach more theology classes or more philosophy classes? Philosophy. Or, okay. And how yeah. long were you in the classroom? Like teaching? I taught here at the seminary from about 1985 to 91, and then I came back in uh, 94 uh, and uh, was made a bishop in 96. And once I became uh, the bishop and rector in 96, I wasn't able to teach a regular uh, set of courses. Do you think your life might ever lead you back to the classroom, or is that something that... No, I'd like that very much yeah. if that if that's in the cards. Yeah, that oh. would be wonderful. I think such a gift. Even sometimes, just sitting here, your mind sometimes, it's you got a lot in there that people need to hear, so that's great. Beautiful. Well, thank yes. you so much again for joining us this month, Archbishop, for a great, um, a great show, a great episode talking about the healing. Would you mind closing us with a blessing and a prayer? Can I just ask oh, first? You yeah. know, that's okay. Is there anything we can pray for you this month for, in particular, through the month yeah. of of we'll meet again in March, so through February? If there's anything we can keep in our hearts specifically for you and for your ministry. 
Um, I, I would ask you to pray uh, for me and uh, all the priests and, and deacons of the diocese uh, that as we get into Lent, that we, uh, we're really powerful uh, supports for the people as they make a good Lent. Beautiful. Archbishop. Lord God, we ask you to bless us, uh, bless this day, all the days of our life, Strengthen us that we may be your faithful sons and daughters in the trials of this world so that we may share the inheritance that belongs to us in the next. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you so Amen. much, Archbishop Ignorance. You're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast, with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.